This podcast episode is brought to you by Paleo Valley's Organic Extra Virgin Olive Oil. Now, we all know that many olive oils are cut with seed oils or that they are rancid, and so it's not always easiest to find a quality and properly sourced olive oil. Yes, in case you didn't know, many store bought olive oils are diluted or blended, compromising both taste and quality, and may even cause rancidity. I'm really glad that Paleo Valley's extra virgin olive oil remains pure and unadulterated, sourced from a single organic valley in Greece. Paleo Valley ensures freshness and nutrient content by packaging their olive oil in dark glass bottles. At a certain point, I stopped using extra virgin olive oil, but once our practice started working with people with chronic inflammatory response syndrome or SIRS, we started recommending it for the reduction of TGF beta 1. It is an immune system marker that shows inflammation both for COVID 19, SIRS, and actually many other illnesses. So if your TGF beta 1 is high, you may want to try incorporating a little bit of extra virgin olive oil. Make sure to check it out. It comes in a two pack package. And remember, All Paleo Valley products are guaranteed with a money back guarantee. Go to paleovalley.com slash nwj to get 15% off your order. Thanks for supporting companies that support this podcast. Hey guys, it's Judy from Nutrition with Judy. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Judy Cho, and I am board certified in holistic nutrition. I focus on the carnivore cure elimination diet, which helps people to get to root cause healing. And oftentimes, that's first healing the gut. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Eric Westman. He co wrote one of my all time favorite books, Keto Clarity, with Jimmy Moore. And they also wrote Cholesterol Clarity. And he's also wrote a recent book, End Your Carb Confusion, with Amy Berger. Dr. Eric Westman is an associate professor of medicine at Duke University Health System. He's been an MD for over 20 years, working with physicians, researchers, and educators around the world. And he has a Adapter Life Academy. You can check out all the information in the show notes. He educates in a very easy way so that you can get your health back. What I love about Dr. Eric Westman is that although he does a lot of stuff on the internet, He sees patients on a daily basis. He has a clinic that you can go to in North Carolina. And so he marries the science with real life. And there is nothing that can counter the expertise and knowledge you get with working with real life people. No matter how smart you are, how much you've read, how much everything you've had, without that real life clinical experience, you just don't understand if your diet or beliefs in certain nutrition, supplements, whatever it may be. Um, is helping or not. And we talk a lot about that in this interview. All right, let's get right into the interview. Hi, Dr. Westman. Thank you so much、uh, for joining me today. I'm a big, longtime fan of your work. I've read Cholesterol Clarity and Keto Clarity, and Keto Clarity is my, one of my all time favorite books. So thank you so much for joining me again today and for all the work that you do for our community and for helping people to heal. If you could just introduce yourself for the people that are listening and watching. Sure. My name is Dr. Eric Westman, and I work at Duke University. I'm a professor of internal medicine and obesity medicine. I've been at Duke since,、uh, gosh, 1990 and have done clinical research in several areas, including the keto or low carb, high fat diets.、Uh, and that's kind of what I've been focusing on lately is getting the word out about how. It's not fat in the food that's bad, it's the sugar. <laughs> And、um, so I work, you know,、uh, three to four days a week in a busy clinical practice、um, in the insurance and、uh, Medicare Medicaid system. And I、uh, also have a company that gets the word out to people who can't make it to the clinic. That's called Adapt Your Life.、Uh, Adapt Your Life Academy is a way to learn about. Programs and take courses about、uh, not only keto, but also cholesterol and other topics of interest for your health. Yeah. And I recently went on your YouTube channel, and you have a lot of short videos that talk about different important topics about health, metabolic health,、um, even keto and low carb diets. And I think it's really helpful. And I'll put that in the show notes. But、um, 
you do a great job educating. I thought the Keto Clarity book was so insightful and helpful, and that really changed the trajectory of my life. So, I oh, think, fantastic! Yeah, well, I have to have to shout out to Jimmy Moore, yeah. who is my co-author on cholesterol clarity and keto clarity, and it was his uh, you know vision to put these together, and I gave the medical background and and learned a lot from the process. I mean, the cholesterol clarity book itself was really a summary of podcasts that Jimmy had done with other researchers about cholesterol. And you know, if you're in the keto world, you get a lot of questions about cholesterol. And it was helpful, well, really helpful for me to have my eyes opened uh, by helping and uh, writing a book about it. Yeah. And I had Jimmy Moore on and we talked about the books as well. So yes, um, he's, he's phenomenal. But um, I wanted to dig a little bit into the book's So why do you think that we have really been misunderstanding cholesterol and that cholesterol is the issue of what's causing cardiovascular disease and why we should be lowering cholesterol and all saturated fats are really bad for us? Like, why did we come to believe that? Yeah, it's kind of a a long story, actually. And one of the first things that happened I remember a professor, friend, and, and teacher of mine at Duke said, he said, um, and when you feed cholesterol to rabbits, they get atherosclerosis. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I'm a clinical researcher. I, I, I deal with humans, not rabbits. And, and not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just I, I'm human-centric. And so I, I thought, well, that doesn't really persuade me. You know, rabbits might be different. So I looked up that paper, actually, and it was a Russian uh, physiologist who, who put cholesterol in rabbit chow. So actually it was a higher cholesterol food, but it was with carbs. Right. So, so there's always been this, um, it's a, called confounding where you have always has something else there that could be possibly be the culprit and uh, the cholesterol and saturated fat story goes again with kind of weak data. We call hypothesis generating data, the nutritional epidemiology that was done, even some studies that were made to prove the point. And, and the science doesn't really shouldn't work that way. You don't, you, you're able to disprove things, sure. you're really not able to prove things. But there was a man with a mission and at keto conferences, when you mentioned Ansel Keys's name, you hear this, ooh. And you know, by the end of by the end of his career, he actually said cholesterol wasn't a problem, but the dietary cholesterol even. And but nobody heard that the the ship had already sailed in terms of the 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 food industry and other organizations buying into it. And you know, I had the good fortune to live for a three months for a semester in France in college, and I saw that they looked at fat very differently. They, they used lots of butter, and 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 um, so I realized early on there were a lot of ways to go about this. I really, so in summary, it was weak, weak science that never really was proven in humans to matter. So now, you know, in the last few years, there are guideline panels that say don't worry about cholesterol in the food, don't, don't worry about saturated fat in the food. And yet there will always be a few organizations that harp on it for other reasons, for other agendas. So you just got to remain focused to the changing science and then know that there'll always be people with agendas. Yeah. And I fully agree, especially with everything that's going on nowadays. Um, Do you think um, you mentioned the confounding factors of, for example, eating carbohydrates, maybe even processed foods with the fat is there a risk of, so let's say I eat my meat and potatoes and I eat that often and I eat a good amount of carbohydrates. At what point is it dangerous to eat too many carbohydrates with your fats and proteins? Well, that's going to be an individual thing. So the, uh, you know, the reality is some people can eat carbs and be totally healthy, you know, not I wouldn't want somebody to eat sugar, just sugar all day long, like, you know, Starburst or Skittles, but, but within, you know, real food, uh, for example, I have a brother who was always just kind of the carb eater in the family and runs and played basketball in college. And so it depends on your metabolism. 
And, and that's part of the confusion that I see is that uh, you look at other people, how can they be lean and have all of that fruit? You know, of course, you don't see perhaps that they're running on the beach for two hours a day or, or they're in the gym, you know, burning off the sugar. So you always have to keep in mind that that, that what people eat isn't the, the whole picture on what their lifestyle is. And um, if someone is, is has a tendency toward gaining weight, uh, toward diabetes, uh, and uh, has insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome, then absolutely you have to be careful about sugar and carbs. And, and the level still depends on the person, which is part of the confusing part of all of this. Totally agree. I see that the lifestyle absolutely affects and then where they are in their metabolic health um, also affects a person's ability to eat or not eat carbs. And then in your keto clarity book, you, you know, there's also that misinformation about if you eat keto, you risk ketoacidosis. And then you also, you know, but, and we also believe that carbs are essential for optimal health. Um, Where do you think some of that stemmed from? Like some of these incorrect information out there? Yeah. You know, so I got into this realm or this area about 20 years ago now. Uh, I think back it was 1998. And one of the first questions I had before I started a study in people to, you know, having them not eat carbs, basically do a keto diet. We call it low carb or low carb, high fat. Then in fact, I met Dr. Atkins and they called it Atkins induction. So these are all kind of synonyms uh, they mean the same thing. But the first thing I needed to know from a safety perspective is, is it safe to have people not eat carbohydrate? And actually, the science is solid. It says there is no need for a human to eat carbohydrate. That's called an essential nutrient. If you have to eat it or consume it, it's called essential. There is no essential carb. So basically, your body can make all of the glucose and fructose and ribose all of these different sugars that that are needed for your body structure and function, but you can make those from the proteins and fats that you eat. So, so it was pretty clear. I got a green light. Yes, it's okay to study in six months the, what will happen, uh, and we embarked on a series of studies. I, I think there's a lot of confusion because that's just what we grew up with. You know, there have been carbs around in my lifetime. Uh, and, you know, but it, when you go back, it, I was a history major in college and it always, you know, I, you know, intrigued me to, you know, what did people do, you know, a hundred years ago, even, you know, or a thousand, you know, and it was only until, you know, about 1900 when sugar became widespread, uh, consumed in a widespread manner. And even then it was kind of rare. So what we have observed and what we've lived in is basically a carb filled culture. I think that's why it's hard for people to wrap their head around it. Hey guys, just to let you know, my carnivore cure book is back in stock for nine months. It was out of print and used prices were up to $300. Make sure to get your copy today that has over 200 colored tables and graphics and over 400 pages of meaty goodness. We have a limited supply, so get your copy today on Amazon.com. And if you can leave a review, I'd be super grateful. And you have a recently published book, The End Your Carb Confusion, and you talk a little bit about these confusions with carbohydrates. Can you talk a little bit about some of the points that maybe in the low carb space, um, keto space that we are confused with, um, our, our carbohydrate consumption. Yeah. Well, um, (laughs) the confusion, um, is interesting because I helped to do some of the early research that I think set the groundwork Mm -hmm. for this keto explosion that you've seen. So Jeff Volek at Ohio state and Will Yancey and I here at Duke started to do high level clinical trials in humans and showed that 
not only was it safe to do low carb and high fat diets, it was healthy. It was, it was, it was improving things. So you can actually, it was known for weight loss that the Atkins diet and, and yes, you can lose weight, but you can also fix diabetes. And so, and your carb confusion was, you know, we explicitly wrote it um, in there. We never say fat is bad. We we never really even drill down to what kinds of fats. We only eat healthy fats. And that's a I know a source of confusion even in the keto world. You know, do you have to watch the fat? And I I don't think so. And and what we do is very simply show what sugar does. You eat sugar, your blood sugar goes up. And you know, if you have pre-diabetes, which is a tendency toward elevated blood sugar, or you have outright diabetes, which is an elevated blood sugar all day long. It is like, it's obvious you don't want to eat much carbohydrate. And you look back 100 years ago, that's what doctors did. They put people on a high-fat, low-carb diet to treat diabetes. I even have one of the old books in my office I use for show and tell, that and the Banting book from 1863. So endocarb confusion really is trying to get uh, people trained on the basics of limit the carbs. That's the number one thing. And so I've seen some people not limit the carbs enough and using net carbs allows for more carbs. And then they obsess about the food quality, for example, rather than lowering the carb more. And, and so anyway, that uh, endocarb confusion starts with the, the basics of here's how low some of you may need to go in order for it to really work. One thing I love about your work is that you actually work with people and see people in clinics and are able to understand that in science, in theory, things may make sense, but out of the Petri dish or something um, or in the labs. But once you start working with people, you see the real life and the nuances. And that's why these blanket statements of we need to eat this amount of carbs or we need to do this or that. And that it may not always hold true for all humans. And yeah, I love and yeah. and so one theory that's been coming out and is a little bit more prevalent lately in the low carb space that are, I guess, people that at one point adopted a low carb diet and then are transitioning out of it is this belief that it's not really the sugar that's causing um insulin resistance and diabetes, it's actually the excess PUFAs. And so a lot of people are shifting with this, okay, I'll just remove all PUFAs. And um, that could be like our seed oils, and maybe even some of the grain finished uh, fatty meats, but they'll then start eating a lot of sugar and meaning maybe like over 200 grams of and it could be even simple sugars. What's your thought? And what have you seen in your practice? Yeah, well, um, that would be, that's a big change if you're going to be adding back carbs and, and blaming the, the type of fat or the PUFAs, the omega-6 types right. of oils. Um, so I'm, I'm holding out and, you know, I'll, I'll buy anyone a Diet Coke or Diet Soda of their choice to prove to me, show me a study where the attention to these oils is more important than lowering the carbs the studies haven't been done. So what, what's fascinating is, uh, you know, I, I was treating people with low carb diets the way we've been doing it. Dr. Atkins did it, Dr. Eads, Dr. Rosedale, Dr. Bernstein. I, I traveled to visit all of these doctors before I did my research to, to kind of make sure Dr. Atkins wasn't the only one. And none of them really paid attention to the type of oils, maybe a little bit, but the main message was keep the carbs very low. So I'm treating people and doing the research, and then suddenly people come in saying, "Oh no, it's the it's the type of oils, and you can't have seed oil." I'm like, "Well, but my patients have been eating those oils, and they do just fine." And, you know, they uh, so if it's if it's important, it's a minor thing. And so, so let's say you're you're stuck. You're eating 50 grams of carbs total, not net. So you know, if you're using net carbs, go to total. It, it's it's prescription strength. It, well, it's actually just more accurate uh, assessment of what you're eating. and But go down then to 20 grams. So if you're at 50, go to 20. Don't bail out yet. I've seen so many people have it start working when you go from 50 or 40 or even 30 to 20, that I use 20 grams a day as the starting point for everyone. 
See, when, when people come to me, they want it to work the first time, every time. That they, they don't want to diddle around with, okay, maybe it'll work here. You know, it's like if you have a, an infection, you know, sinusitis or a skin infection, you want the drug to work, you know, the first time, right? So that's why I use a 20 gram total per day, not per meal, and, um, and try that before you start embarking on the, the seed oil worry, that sort of thing. But I, I'm open to, to data. Show me a paper. And I have said this to several of the doctors who are out there on the circuit talking about these oils things. I say, you know, prove to me, you know, show me that what you're saying is really true in clinical trial research. And they really can't because those studies haven't been done. And, you know, if there is a benefit, it's a small one. Sure. Uh, and um, certainly we want to eat as, as best the food quality we can, but it makes it unattainable for some people. So I have, I, again, I'm in an insurance pay, Medicare, Medicaid practice, and many of my patients only eat at fast food restaurants. That's the only tool that I, that I have. I mean, food is my, my tool. It's a wonderful uh, armamentarium. It's my secret weapon, actually. I talk about food as a doctor. And, and this one gentleman came back losing 10 to 15 pounds a month eating off the dollar menu at McDonald's. That's now, awesome. I don't, I don't remember the last time I've been to McDonald's, but, you know, it's not about me. Right. Okay, right? <laughs> and so to get it to work in him, these were the tools I was given. So I don't really care where you get the food. You know, if you go to a fast food restaurant and have someone else cook it, uh, another thing people say is, oh, I need to meal prep. I, it doesn't work unless I meal prep. I don't prep my meals. I don't, you know, it, it, you might have to with a family or other situation, but you can go anywhere and eat from any source as long as you're not eating much carbohydrate. So I really stress that if you're, if you're stuck, focus on lowering the carbs more rather than worrying about making your own salad dressing, which then makes it impossible to do because you're, you have a busy life and you know that you let, you know, so keep it simple. Focus on the carbs is my main message and, and your carb infusion. And I love that. I mean, so I was really sick and then I got back into nutrition and I went to school because I found that I had a passion for it. And then I wanted to educate and in those nutrition schools, they talk a lot about sourcing and getting grass fed and, and all of that. And so that's where I advocated for that in the beginning. And then I started working with real life people and they would say, well, I can't afford that. And so maybe then I can't do this diet. And that's when the real life kicked in for me. And, and my parents, um, they reversed all their metabolic disease with a meat-based diet and they never buy the grass fed and they're reversing everything. And so it just really got to a point where I realized Sure, it's ideal for people to eat the grass fed, the pasture raised, but if you can't afford it, you can still heal eating the, mo like you said, the fast food meat patties and um, the dollar menu with the lower carbs. And that can still move the needle a lot. And so, Absolutely. and that's where I love your work because it makes it in a diet that can be healing and attainable for anyone. I had some clients that eat just grass-fed, grass-finished beef, and then nose to tail, so with the organs. And when they did their omega blood work, uh, their uh, PUFAs were on the a little bit on the higher side. And and so when they started incorporating fish, which they weren't because they were scared of the mercury and scared of the PFAs and all the you know fear mongering things. And so once they included that, their omegas balanced a little bit better. And it just shows that we may think in science, it makes sense. But in real life, it doesn't always work out that way. Right. And well, we I never, I never do those tests looking at omega-3, omega-6. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really, I'm just kind of on the, uh, even now thinking that a lot of the blood tests we do are going to be outside the range that carb eaters have. Yeah. And so, so is people may even say your, your lab test is abnormal cholesterol being one of them sure. when actually it might be better mm -hmm. and, and we're stuck in the old, you know, if it's different, it must be bad. Right. And, and actually, you know, uh, if it's different, it might actually be better. And, and this is because I've been looking at lab tests for 20 years now and people aren't dropping dead when their LDL is a little bit elevated or, uh, uh, and I, I guess I'm still, not sure how much, how important the attention to the types of oils is. Uh, you know, I'd rather have it someone uh, relax that rule and and do it 
because you'll get so many health benefits, as you're saying. So I work with mostly, and my community is mostly meat-based. So some people may eat some veggies, but in general, it's mostly very heavy meat. And so some people may not even be in a ketogenic state because the protein is very high. And some complaints that I've seen is that people will say that a low carb diet, ketogenic uh, carnivore diet causes the thyroid to not function as well because insulin drops too low and then won't stimulate um, hormone production in the thyroid. And so therefore low carb diets cause hypothyroid and there are people that show studies. And so I was just wondering what your thoughts are. Um, Some people say that too low of carbs cause their energy to tank. And so then when they add in more carbs, they feel better. I've read those theoretical articles and there's a big difference between theory and practice. Uh, that said, I think there's a, an open space for research in the thyroid area and looking at people who are doing keto and carnivore, but uh, I'd rather get real data and real people than talk about theory. It might just be that the levels change because our metabolism is changing for the thyroid. Um, and um, I, the first thing I think about if someone feels low energy is sodium and salt mm-hmm. and electrolyte replacement. And yes, you can feel better by having sugar, but it's really perhaps the sugar making you hold on to sodium and salt and water that, that it's doing. So yeah, you can, you can gain five pounds by eating a carb laden meal because it's all fluid weight, you know, it's water and salt. If if you've done that over the holidays, you know what I'm talking about. So, and then the salt goes away over time. So carbs can make you feel better, but it may be actually better to use the sodium replacement salt. I, I recommend bullion or some other electrolyte, Um, Now, the insulin level, I don't think the insulin level can be too low. And, you know, as long as you don't have type 1 diabetes, meaning you have no insulin at all. And you can measure insulin production internally with a simple blood test called the C-peptide. So you can know if you're making some. I've even, um, I've fallen out of the endocrinology world now. I I just, I'm an internal medicine trained. I I could have become an endocrinologist. And, but now they're so focused on the medicines and, and, you know, they're not even telling people to cut down carbs much. It's really kind of sad. And, and then they'll check C peptides and, and there will be C peptide, but they'll say, well, it's not high enough. So they need insulin. I'm like, no, you know, the way you suppress the hormone is by giving it. So the way you're going to suppress someone's internal insulin secretion is by having people inject insulin. And so, you know, if someone has some C peptide and they're on insulin, give the pancreas a chance to wake up. And so there's a, so there's this diagnosis now of a relative lack of insulin and in type two and, and then there's beta cell burnout and all that. I, I just, I don't believe it's true for most people. It's they're eating too many carbs. You're taking insulin, you're suppressing the insulin. And, and so why not give keto or maximal lifestyle? I call it now a prescription diet, prescription strength diet. And, and you know, and that's why dietitians in general don't know about it because they can't write prescriptions. You know, right. <laughs> actually it, it's, pretty awesome what I can do just with food. I, my world record now in taking someone off of insulin is she was on 600 units wow. of insulin a day. And the way you do that is by having these highly concentrated versions now. And that's what the endocrinology field is doing. And she came off 600 units of insulin in three weeks. Wow. And I taught her how to, you know, deprescribe it, meaning if the blood sugar is low, don't take insulin, you know? And uh, so yeah, what the food is really, really powerful. In fact, so gosh, dietitians have all of the power, really. Right. We, we medical people, I mean, <laughs> we, we don't talk about food and we give pills and shots. And, you know, I, I'm, I've really become an advocate for nutrition as the, the uh, basis for medical care. It's really unfortunate because when my mom had diabetes, they put her on metformin and then they said, you need to eat more whole grains and fruits and my grandmother did all of that from morning. And then it's like, if her blood sugar dropped too much from the metformin, she would, we would just give her orange juice or lifesavers. And, but the root cause are all of those reasons. And it's, it's, you're you're right. I mean, I think food can do so much healing and, um, and we have that tool, but for a lot of people, it's like the harder thing to do. So they'd rather pop the pill 
but it's not going to give you longevity and wellness long-term. But but what's kind of discouraging or, or maybe even, um, uh, I want to even almost say unethical because okay. doctors don't give you a chance. Mm-hmm. The, it doesn't, doctors don't give a patient the alternative chance. That's true. To do maximal lifestyle. I mean, so if, if you only give the option of going on pills, uh, you're not allowing someone to actually reverse. And now, you know, the Verta Health study with uh, Steve Finney, Jeff Volek, Sarah Hallberg um, clearly shows in, in great publications that you can reverse and fix diabetes. I wish all doctors would, would say, you know, do you want to, you know, do you want to change your lifestyle? And in my experience, people will say, doc, I'll do anything. Sure. I'll do anything to not have diabetes. And oh, no, here's a pill for you. Don't worry. No, no, no. Doctors wake up. People will, and it's not hard to do a low carb diet. So, so I'm afraid that most doctors don't know how simple this can be. Do you think sometimes the low energy, um, other than the electrolytes, because I've seen that too, and the carbohydrates are just a band-aid, like you said, because it retains the water. But do you see sometimes that maybe someone has to be in a higher ketogenic state, meaning that maybe they need to add more fat as fuel for energy, or is it just the reduction of the carbohydrates? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I, I would like to see some controlled research looking at this. Um, as we wrote Keto Clarity and um, time went on and people were trying different things, I, I did a few kind of pre-study studies looking at changing the protein fat mixture, that sort of thing. It's, it's hard for me to figure out with people telling me what they've done. A lot of things, in my experience, a lot of things can work. Yeah. And uh, now then you, you get the advent of the popularity of fasting many people will come to me already doing one or two total fasts mm. per week for the day. And I, that's not part of my background in training. But it clearly can work. Um, and so I'm just not sure what the best approach uh, is uh, in terms of uh, my approach doesn't have people calculate macros. Mm. So I don't know a ratio that people are, are doing. Um, and um this, there is room for what we call an N of one study, which means you are your own subject and you, you change things and you just monitor. And I would say you monitor things for a couple of weeks to let your body uh, even things out. And you can figure out maybe a change in protein or increasing in the fat um, and see how your body responds. Clearly, if you're going to go high carb and start having less seed oils, monitor how you do. And if you start, you know, gaining weight or have some bad metabolic event, bail out because my hunch is that's too many carbs. Right. Right. The funny thing is there's, we talk a lot about the physical side of food and how it, what it does to the body. But a lot of the clients I work with, there's a food addiction element. There's a mental health side. So while I could say just eat 50 grams of carbohydrates, the 50 grams there, there's an emotional component that we don't talk about in the wellness space. And so I think that's where like it becomes really individual and understanding can you tolerate carbs even from a mental psyche side, because that part's a whole different battle than just the physical of, okay, I'll limit my carbs and, and then I'll be healed forever. Absolutely. And I don't know the the percentage of folks, but um, it's real. And I was made aware recently of a book and podcast called food junkies, I don't know if you've met Dr. Vera Tarman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's up in Canada. She's, uh, fantastic. Just I, we've interviewed with her and I, I didn't know uh, of the book Food Junkies, but it, it's really nice. So if, you, if you're wondering why you self-sabotage, why you emotionally eat and can't get out of that, that uh, Dr. Tarman and, and the Food Junkies group is really good to help you figure that out. And in many cases, it's, it's you're just going to have to wake up one day and be totally abstinent of sugar, kind of like an alcoholic. You wouldn't you wouldn't even toy with you know one drink with someone who's had their life destroyed with alcoholism. I mean, you you don't even go there. Uh, uh, but um, still, the it's not well known that you know saying oh just have one 
slice of pie could really destroy someone over the holiday. One other area that's been coming up a lot too in the low carb space and is testosterone and hormones in general, like DHEA drops, testosterone drops on a low carb keto carnivore diet. Have you seen this in your practice? Well, honestly, I don't measure systematically. Sure. Okay. And I'm, uh, I'm curious. I'm, I'm open to the the fact that things change and, but I'm, I'm still going to be very, how should I say, cautiously optimistic that it's just a a change in the level compared to people who eat carbs. So uh, especially while you're losing weight, Mm -hmm. if the metabolism changes and cholesterol levels can go up, I've seen, I don't systematically measure it, but I've seen people show me labs that do all sorts of crazy things. And so I don't, I, I say, look, stop the carbs. Let me get you to a goal. And then we'll re look at all of those things. Um, certainly there's a role for uh, hormone replacement, but weight loss, if you have a lot of weight to lose, will fix most of these things actually without adding the, is it, um, the medicine or, or the sleep apnea machine. You know, once you're at your goal, you probably won't need it anymore. Sure. In the short run, it may wake you up and, and you feel a lot better. That's great. But um, it's kind of like um, adding a, a hormone now might get you there faster, but I, I have learned to try to be a minimalist in terms of medicine because there are side effects that, you, that are unintended. And um, so I, I would advocate patience with, with something that's working, you know, but it's so slow, you know, but it's working. And then um, rather than adding in uh, metformin or testosterone or something to, to speed it up, speed it up and just be aware that the comparison of your level to someone who eats carbs might be a false comparison. Yeah. And I think that's really good. I mean, there are a lot of blood work samples of N equals ones that come out within the carnivore space that show T3 uh, for thyroid is lower, but people's energy is normal. So maybe it's normal that on a lower carb diet, the T3 is lower, but people will use that then outside of the low carb space. That's AC. It makes it your body hypothyroid without considering the individual symptoms. So well, it, I'm a past president of the Obesity Medicine Association, and these are doctors who clinically tra- have treated patients for 70 years, and uh, they've used low-carb diets in this the obesity medicine world for a long time. There's also a, a different way of looking at thyroid, thyroid replacement with other things other than just straight T4, and then some of these doctors will incorporate temperature body temperature, basal body temperature measures. So it's, it's almost like they kind of knew that if you just focus on the thyroid level, you're going to miss out the blood level. You're going to miss out on some people because the, the body temperature is super low and you add back just a little thyroid, people feel better. They start losing weight. So there is a role for medical supervision during weight loss. And so if you're, you're um, not getting the success you want, or you, you, want a medic, medical expertise, not necessarily medication, check out the Obesity Medicine Association and doctors who are trained in obesity medicine. And a lot of them follow a lower carb diet? Yeah, many do. Now, oh, you know, I, don't wow, know of any, I don't know of any um, doctor at OMA who doesn't use a low carb diet if they're not using medication. So a lot of doctors there will use fentramine or any of the other four or five medications that are approved and they'll do various types of diets, but they're, see, in my opinion, they're cheating because they're using medicine. I, I get away with using a low carb diet, super low keto most of the time, and I don't need medication. Sure. So, but, so you can do any, any type of, um, you know, um, nutritionally complete sort of diet. If you can do calorie restriction, you know, count, calories. You can do carb restriction, which really leads to calorie restriction automatically Mm -hmm. for just about everyone. Um, And these are all aspects of the obesity medicine organization. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't know that there was a group that um, advocated for low carb. So that is pretty cool. If someone is healing, um, do you think that it's for the, you know, the remainder of their life that they should actually go in and out of ketosis. There's a lot of conversation about metabolic flexibility. (laughs) Any thoughts on that? 
That's a great question. And I don't know the answer. Uh, and um, I think as funding gets available to, to study, that's a great study to do. Um, and of course, longevity, how long you live is going to be tough. That would be a very expensive study to follow people. <laughs> but there are markers of longevity that you can look at, biomarkers. Um, I'm not sure that you need to be in ketosis 24-7. Mm -hmm. In fact, I don't recommend my patients to measure ketosis, okay. even with urine or breath or blood. They, they just It's too much. I mean, it, it's enough for someone to just change their entire food, you know, right. So I'm, I, uh, I know a lot of people do check and it can be very motivating and keep you on track. So I don't tell people not to measure. Uh, but um, when I, I, I talk to Jeff Volek at Ohio State uh, periodically, and I'll always ask because he's not an MD. He's not, I, you know, uh, I say, Jeff, have you learned anything that should make me not use this in my patients? I mean, you know, I, I'm I treat people every day. And, you know, he always, like, he always kind of jokes with, no, Eric, I haven't learned anything yet, you know. <laughs> Because when he keeps studying this more and more, it looks better and better. Right. So, so I have to think, if you ask Jeff Volek, what, should you be in ketosis 24-7? He'll probably say, yeah, because there are all these benefits. The ketones work on the inflammasome and all this stuff. And I'm just not quite sure yet. Because he can make decisions based on the, the studies that don't necessarily have human outcomes. Like, you know. Uh, that so I need a pretty high level of evidence to tell the patient in front of me that yeah you you got to be in ketosis all the time you got to be no no I don't know I, and, and uh, you know part of it's the personality if um, if an individual wouldn't take risk ever you know and you're avoiding all all risk then you know, I'd say well you know you probably don't want to have sugar you know but if you're oh every now and then I'll you know go on a roller coaster or I'll have a cigar with a, my buddies. Well, having sugar now and then is probably not going to kill you. Right. I mean, I'm pretty sure about that. Is it causing harm, danger? I, I I don't think so. You know, so I try to help people minimize the risk from the food. And I'm not necessarily sure we need to be in ketosis. Uh, you know, when I did research in smoking cessation and we would do the, the analysis about if you quit smoking, you know, you might live an extra six months. Sure. Uh, most people could go, well, that's not much, you know, or, or an extra day at the end of your life. So I have to think um, that uh, uh, I'm curious about that. Should you be in ketosis all the time? Um, certainly, if you're a carb addict, sugar addict, please don't go and test the the carbs every now and then. I mean, it's, it's dangerous. To, you know, it's hazardous because you might go back to eating sugar every day. But I think that's a great question. But it might be. So that, I'm open to the idea that it may be better to be in ketosis 24-7. And 20 years ago, there was no way I would say that. I would say, are you kidding? You got to have carbs every day. So I've come and like, chunk, you know, I learned, no, you don't need to eat carbs. Well, okay, you're healthy for a while. But and as it gets studied more and more, it's looking better and better. It sounds like in because of your practice and your day-to-day -day patients, you understand real life that to say you have to have the most perfect diet or be in ketosis all the time and measure all these things. It's just too much and people will not adhere. And that's the biggest struggle I have is as I try to create a group program is what will make things stick? Because I think at a certain point, people know that eating fast food or, you know, with all the, the pizzas and the fries and the, the real sodas is not ideal, but we still eat it. Um, one study I recently found was that Twinkies, I think the average person knows it's not ideal food, but the rate of sales for Twinkies is increasing. And so we know there's a part of us that knows that certain foods are just not ideal, right? We eat the perimeter of the market, that type of thing, but we still eat the less than ideal foods. And so I think when you make it really simplistic, then it becomes harder to break a diet that's super simple. And so I can see from working with clients that over the years, it's easier and to make it stick if you make it really simple. But for the average person in America, they just want to heal. And most of America's obese and has diabetes. It's just getting simple rules out there that they can heal. Yeah. So, and uh, let me just echo the net carb it can cause problems, not only because you're having more, more carbs. So sure. if you use total carbs, 
you don't get as many carbs, but it can also make you think you can have all of these new keto junk foods that are out there that, uh, you know, there's, there really is no keto bread and ice cream yet, although some are getting close, but they use that deduction for net carbs. Right. Although there's really no keto food. And, and this is something that my co-author on Andrew Carb Confusion always says, Amy Berger, who's yeah. super smart as to it nutrition. She says, you know, there's no keto food. It's a ketosis is a metabolic state. Right. And, and over the holidays, I'll go through the calculation of a teaspoon of sugar is five carbs. So, yeah, you can actually have like a teaspoon of chocolate cake, you know, and you'll still be in keto, meaning in ketosis, because you kept the carbs really low. At, at first, we don't teach that. We want great success and just stay away from all carbs. In fact, some people think sugar is like poison and they stay away from like the plague. No, if you're going to do this for a lifestyle, you want to be more relaxed about your approach to these things every now and then, you know, no big deal. Don't uh, obsess about the micro carb and the, the, the maltodextrin of the, the shredded food or shredded cheese. Uh, Anyway. No, (laughs) I know. I I know. (laughs) I've followed that journey. So I completely get that. Um, so I know you have a video um, on your channel where you talk about internet-based keto versus evidence-based keto. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you talk about in that video? Yeah, well, it, it, I would recommend that you find the, the whole video. <laughs> what we did is we we surveyed people who had learned about keto on the internet, but then took our classes at Adapter Life Academy. And we asked, what was different from what we taught than what you learned on the internet. So it, it was great. It was, uh, so hundreds of people replied on the survey. And the number one thing that was not aware, not uh, learned on the internet-based keto was the overconsumption of fats and oils and cheese. So on an evidence-based keto diet, one that we've used for 20 years, we limit the explicit amount of cheese of oils and fats. And so if you learn on the internet and it says, look, zero carbs, I can have all of the cheese and butter that I want. And you're trying to lose weight. There are a lot of calories in those foods. And so an evidence-based program that actually works in people uh, uh, in the real world has a limit on those. Now, the other uh, most common things is people use net carbs instead of total carbs. Net carbs just isn't quite as strong. It can work for some, but uh, total carbs works better. Um, the concern about food quality was a big one. Mm-hmm. And the way we teach it is don't worry so much about the food quality, worry about the carb content. Um, you don't have to measure macros. Some people came in worried and upset about the apps. They didn't know how to make it work and all that. And sometimes the app actually makes you eat more. Because it says you haven't had enough protein today. (laughs) So in the video, I go through the top 10 things that people were able to correct. And the good news is if you correct these things, it is almost certain to work unless you're on some medicine or have some other medical issues. So, But check out internet-based versus evidence-based keto. I have several videos out there that that goes through that information. And I'll put it also in the show notes as well. You know, as we're, you know, coming closer to the end, what are some general tips that you would recommend someone that has been low carb for a while and maybe their energy is not fully there? Um, I'm guessing that some people, like you said, is the electrolytes, but what are some other tips that you may include if someone's been low carb keto carnivore for a while and maybe six months, maybe even a year, and they're just not fully energized. They're just not feeling as well as they thought they would. Yeah. And remember with electrolytes and salt, um, Steve Finney recommend, and Steve Finney is kind of like, you know, everyone listens, yeah. he's really the nutritional genius of our time. I, you know, I, he's a friend, but I look at, he's really a teacher for me. Um, remember it's five to seven grams of salt a day that he recommends when you're fully keto adapted. So that's not just, you know, here, a little, little salt here and there, five to seven grams. So, so if you're not feeling like you have enough energy, really push the sodium up. Mm-hmm. There's no danger, you know, unless you have a salt sensitive condition like high blood pressure or heart failure or kidney failure, like on dialysis, 
you know, then you don't want to add the extra salt. But if you're otherwise healthy, push the salt. Um, yeah, I think the um, reality, some people may need more carbs. And that's, I see that not from our research, but from just, you know, being aware of what's going on in the world. And um, in And Your Carb Confusion, my uh, friend wrote a section about himself. He's super athletic, uh, cyclist, and he feels better and functions better on higher carbs. So, so again, that's that trade-off. I don't know that you have to be in ketosis and uh, even, you know, for longer life and all that. So you might want to add a little more carbs. Um, to keep in mind, I, I'm a doctor in obesity medicine, internal medicine, and there are certain things we check, right. like a yearly physical, and I check not only thyroid levels, so you want to make sure that's optimized, but also um, liver, kidney uh, uh, function. Uh, you, you may ha- have anemia that makes you low in energy. So you want to, you know, don't, don't avoid the doctor if you're not feeling well. And um, like as a process, if I, if you were my patient, I go through a a list of, of asking you things like a a regular first physical, and then do a certain set of lab tests. If you haven't had them done from another doctor lately, Um, certainly if you've had weight loss surgery before and don't have energy, a lot of people are iron deficient or or B12 deficient. So you want to check in um, if you've had some sort of medical issue like that before. Um, And yeah, even uh, although I start out by saying don't exercise, in fact, don't even think about it because I want you to focus on the diet. Sure. Actually, a lot of people can't exercise. They come to me with knee pain or they might even be on the, the, the waiting list for a knee replacement, you know, and they're coming to lose weight for it. Um, if you're, you're doing this for a while and you're not feeling energetic and you're not exercising, get back to walking, um, do some fun things. Uh, I think the adding on the exercise, maybe the keto world, we don't emphasize that enough. Um, Although at the beginning, I don't talk about it at all. It's it's a kind of a stepwise change for most people. A lot of people feel more energy by just getting out and being more active. In the beginning, I get it. There's a lot of different changes to also add exercise when the lever is not a big one initially um, compared to food. So I, I fully agree with that. I know you also have a new type of class that you can learn about cholesterol um, and it's a program. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, who is it for? What can I learn and where can I find it? Yeah. So, and your carb confusion is the book we have. Uh, It's out available anywhere. um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and your carb confusion teaches you how to do a low carb keto, low glycemic types of diets and your cholesterol confusion get the, the drift, the name there, and your cholesterol confusion, different class, uh, it talks about cholesterol, and, and it's not a keto diet kind of kind of book. You see, I, I've been looking at cholesterol and wrote a book on cholesterol for years now, and I can bring to the table the biochemistry to show you how important cholesterol is in your body and, and how potentially risky it is to take a drug that basically blocks your body's ability to make cholesterol, you know, this, for some people, this is not a good idea. Right. And that these are called statin drugs. Um, and so um, my ability to summarize clinical research, being a professor at Duke and a clinical trialist, really, I do a module on how the, the bad science developed about cholesterol and saturated fat being, being thought of as bad. And then I take people through the clinical research on medications. Yes, statins for cholesterol can be useful, but it's a a lot smaller group of people than my general doctors in my area. They want everyone on a statin and they they treat a cholesterol level like it's a a disease. No, 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 no. So at best, it's a a risk factor. and, And at best, these medicines can help a little bit, but it's not like they, they, um, um, uh, like will, prevent your getting a, a, another heart attack or, or stroke hundred percent. They, they did, just don't do that. Right. So the end your cholesterol confusion really was kind of a, a way for me to explain at many different levels. It's intended for the, a lay audience 
I like to say things in uh, multiple ways and, and kind of translating from doctor speak to general uh, audience speak. Um, and, and yet this could be a CME level class for a uh, medical student, a dietitian. So, so I really tried to target anyone who wanted to learn more about cholesterol. I guess there'd be a couple of modules that wouldn't be CME worthy. I, I, I thought of um, Professor Feynman and I for years, uh, this is Feynman the other, he's a biochemist at Downstate New York. Uh, we've toyed with the idea, we need to do a trial, a mock trial of is cholesterol really the culprit, you know, with the level of evidence of a courtroom. And so one of the mod, I, okay, I put it in the class. So, so there's a, you know, pretend judge, you know, a mock trial, oh, meaning you use all the evidentially evidentiary rules and all that. And, and, you know, basically you can't, you wouldn't prove that cholesterol, even with the best evidence we have, that it's the culprit or, or saturated fat or, and, and uh, some of the early feedback is, is that people liked that way of summarizing everything that we have. Uh, and, um, and then I explained how, to talk to your doctor about this. Oh, okay. you know, a lot of people value the and, and respect the the wisdom and advice of doctors, but in this particular area, it, it's like a religion rather than science. So I think it's for everyone, of course. What, and where what, can they find that? Yeah, so and your cholesterol confusion, uh, any of the information that I give, and if you want to know the latest, is at Adapt Your Life Academy. So Adapt Your Life, three words, but all together, is my company, uh, sort of what, what do they call it today, the, the side hustle. Of, uh, it's my uh, company as a, a professor. We can do that at Duke. And um, Adapt Your Life Academy is the digital classes. We, we now have three going on four, hopefully five and six and seven, all based on the health concerns and but giving the different perspective based on more than the old mainstream view so uh, and your cholesterol confusion can be found at adapterlifeacademy.com now it just opened and closed so you just have to watch get on the waiting list for further classes we we have an opening period and then we close it and then we devote all of our energy to answering questions for those people. So it's like the class opens and you enroll and then you take the class and then you have to wait for the enrollment, just like any sort of university, I suppose. In the carnivore, specifically in the carnivore space, I tend to see people that the triglycerides will go down to um, less than hundred and that's ideal. HDL will go up, but certain people, their LDL keeps going up. And so I've asked this to other cardiologists in the, in the space, but just curious your thoughts. Do you think there's a certain point where LDL can be too high? For example, there's some people where their LDL may be above 800, maybe a thousand HDL then even goes up above 150, 180. Is there a certain point where, yes, it's not the normal um, cholesterol, but should we be worried with these higher numbers? That's a, it's a good question. I'm not worried, okay. but then, um, uh, so there's no LDL number historically that we would teach that you have to hospitalize someone. I, I've been searching for this. That there's no, so there's no immediate acute, meaning urgent life or, life or death thing. There is for triglyceride. So if your triglyceride is 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, you'll be put in the hospital and fasted so you don't get pancreatitis. Pancreatitis is an urgent, life-threatening condition. And so just all of, you know, of every medical medical knowledge that we've known, there's never been a level where you'd have to hospitalize someone. Now, um, the kind of index case, and I go over this in the cholesterol course, the little girl with familial hyperlipidemia had an LDL of about 800. And this is way higher than the, the 200, 300, 400. And many of these people are in the cholesterol code related uh, Facebook group called lean mass hyper responder. Um, and uh, that little girl had uh, atherosclerosis and heart attacks like at age three. So if they, so so I'm not worried about it. Now that I know what LDL does, 
it's good. It's a good thing. It, it carries around fat soluble things in your water soluble bloodstream. It's not there to cause heart attacks. I'm pretty convinced. Um, even the, the elite athletes that have been studied will have higher LDLs than thought to be be uh, you know optimal. Uh, but that said, I'm I'm open to the possibility that it's bad. And I've done everything I can to help Dave Feldman with his study at citizensciencefoundation.org, where they're actually flying people to L.A. to a, a super good uh, CT angiogram program. And they're monitoring people now with high LDLs over time in a very systematic way. And um, there are specific criteria to see if you can get into that study but uh, there's uh, a lot of um, other circumstantial evidence that suggests this might actually be good uh, and, and not be harmful. So, and, you know, it reminds me 20 years ago when people said, you can't cut carbs out of people's food, they'll die. I said, well, that didn't happen. Right. Of course, I cheated. I went to visit doctors who had used this for 30 years in their, their clinical practice. I mean, I didn't cheat. I, so I used all of the information available to me at the time. Um, and I would be careful if a doctor, you know, outright dismisses your high LDL is bad and you have to be on a drug, you know, you want a doctor that thinks about it a little more carefully. And, and I mean, health professional, you know, not just physicians, but um, because we don't know. And it's very possible an elevated LDL is actually better. Interesting. And I think um, the way that you even transitioned to a lower carb um, practice, and it just is a testament of your character, I think going around and seeing what these other doctors and physicians did with a low carb diet before implementing it. It's, um, I think it's very respectful. I mean, you actually care about your patients. And instead of getting the ultimate super professional diet, it's just getting something realistic. So people can no longer be obese and start healing. And, um, and, and I love your work for that because it's real life. And most of America is still obese and sick. And if we just got the low carb diet in a very simplistic way out there, then so many people can heal. And a lot of the, the fringe stuff is not really necessary, at least in the beginning. So thank you so much. Um, well, my, my pleasure. And I just, yeah, I, I've, I started as a clinician, meaning a, a doctor first, got trained in clinical research and, but I've always had a clinical practice and uh, I wouldn't have really understood the internet keto <laughs> phenomenon uh, had I not been in a clinical practice. In fact, I, you know, there are people who are doctors who, who start getting into this and they stop clinical practice. I'm always a little, I don't know, miffed or, or wonder what their, their real intention is you know, uh, but there's, there's no substitute. I've learned so much from my patients that, that they'll come back in front of me and say, Hey, what you told me didn't work. Right. Like, well, okay, well let's, let's try to fix it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I love that. And, and so thank you. I think we need more voices like you on the internet uh, because most people, like you said, as they become bigger and famous, they stop working with the individual and, or they close their group practice. And so they d don't see what their recommendations are doing for actual people. And so then they can't change their opinion unless a new study challenges their opinion. And I think real life is a lot more complicated than that, um, working with real people. So thank you. Thank so you. Uh, where can people find you? Um, I know you have other social media handles. If you can just, you know, share, I know you have a clinic, but can people just go there? I mean, how, how can people work with you? Yeah, well, so the internet information is all at Adapt Your Life. Adapter Life Academy too. I, I do have a website called ericwestmanmd.com, which basically will introduce you to all of the um, Adapter Life information. Um, so ericwestmanmd.com. My Duke practice is open to really anyone uh, that, well, you have to, during COVID, I was allowed to do telemedicine. Now they're, they're clamping down. You have to visit me in North Carolina. I'm only uh, licensed in North Carolina, um, and it's insurance pay, uh, Medicare, Medicaid. I I still accept that. My office is situation situated next to a, um, a safety net 
clinic that's used for internal medicine teaching. And so I treated a lot of people from that practice as well. Um, and I just, I'm sorry that there's such a long waiting list or waiting time, um, but you can just go to Duke website and look up Dr. Westman and sign up for an appointment. Of course, don't come from outside of, of or have to visit the Durham, North Carolina, please. <laughs> Thank you again so much for your time and for all that you're doing in the community. I I have such similar values as you. And so I really wanted you on to talk with this community that sometimes we get so nuanced, we get lost. And then we're just like, forget the diet. I'm just going to eat whatever I want today. And that's part of the demise of any diet. Exactly. Well, you're very welcome. Anytime. I'd love to talk. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Sometimes when you talk to people like Dr. Westman, it's really a breath of fresh air, realizing how simple a diet can be, how we don't have to necessarily worry about all these nuances unless we need to because we're not well. But in general, it's so simple and it can help so many people as food can truly be medicine. I hope that as you're starting the new year, that this gives you hope and an ability to keep things simple. And that maybe sometimes it's just finding the diet that works for you and that works for you for the long term. All right, guys, make sure to eat a lot of meat. Take care of your bodies because it is the only place you have to live. I will talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Nutrition with Judy podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app so more listeners like you can find the show. If you want more practitioner care and support, head over to nutritionwithjudy.com slash groups so you can get more real talk about carnivore, the environment, and root cause healing. You can also find my content on Nutrition with Judy's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter and learn more about in-depth articles with infographics at nutritionwithjudy.com articles. You can find my two books, Carnivore Cure and the Complete Carnivore Diet for Beginners on carnivorecure.com and amazon.com. At the heart of Nutrition with Judy's practice, our mission lies with a deep, unwavering passion for service and community. We will continue to empower you to have the knowledge and tools to live a life nearly symptom-free because we firmly believe in healing and wellness for all.